You're on Radio 1, 91 FM, Political Spectrum, and with me on the phone right now, I have Professor Robert Patman, Head of Department of Politics here at Otago University, and the Politics Department is hosting a very special uh, meeting, symposium, this weekend, uh, the 50th annual uh, of a series of symposia they've held for the last 50 years, um, with national and international experts on foreign affairs, the Otago Foreign Policy School uh, 50th Annual Meeting. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, good evening. Uh, good morning, uh, Abe. Um, it, the Foreign Policy School um, was basically started in the mid-60s, and it was started by someone called Mr. Arnold Entwistle, who was then uh, a lecturer in what was called uh, adult education. Um, and the thing to note was that it, basically it was prompted by several things. Entwistle anticipated that New Zealand was going to need a more independent foreign policy in the future because of the fact that Britain had signalled its intention to join what's now called the European Union or then that was then called the European Common Market. And also New Zealand found it was involved in America's escalating war in Vietnam. So for these two reasons, New Zealand began to show um, interest in developing its own foreign policy. Remember, New Zealand's a young country which had been closely aligned with Britain. Um, the problem, from, as Entwistle saw it, and some other academics at this university saw it, was that efforts to develop a more independent New Zealand foreign policy looked like they could be hampered by a lack of public knowledge in this area. So the Foreign Policy School was established to fill that gap. And the, unlike an academic conference or symposium, Entwistle deliberately called it school because he was putting the, the onus on a bipartisan event in which not just academics but practitioners and other interested members of the public would attend. And um, it started off in 1966 and it quickly grew. And um, since the beginning of the Foreign Policy School in 1966, um, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade, which was then called the Department of External Affairs, has been closely involved. And every year, um, it's the only international relations event in this country, which is customarily opened by the Foreign Minister. The Foreign Minister will be here on Friday night to do that. And also, the Foreign Ministry send about 30 of their latest recruits to, if you like, immerse themselves in hard thinking or um, thinking outside the square for two and a half days in Dunedin. So, yeah, I mean, that's how it started off, and uh, it gathered momentum. And as you said, uh, you know, it's not partisan. It doesn't have a political agenda, and uh, there's uh, presenters from across the spectrum, uh, yeah. actually, in sort of diplomatic practice, uh, journalists, critics, yeah. uh, you name it. And um, it's quite a, a great lineup uh, for this year's 50th, which I want to talk about. But uh, from the material that I've been reading about the history of the school and uh, my own attendance at some of the uh, public lectures over yeah. the past decade, um, it really is uh, heavy-hitting, and it's had some influence on decisions made uh, for New Zealand's foreign policy. Is that fair to say? I think certainly uh, it's had impact at, at three levels. I think the first level might be described as the societal or the broadest level in terms of public discourse and debate. It's brought together and has brought together over the years groups who would otherwise have little contact with each other, that is academics and 
practitioners, but also people who may be described as activists or protesters who feel passionately about the environment or some other issue, or they're against nuclear weapons or something like that. And it brings them a chance to connect with people who um, may have a role in contributing to the policies that they're objecting to. I think that's a very important uh, two-way exchange that occurs there. Um, and so I think at the societal level, there's definitely been some impact that it certainly changed, transformed, well, maybe not transformed, but it certainly changed the role of the foreign ministry in this country up until the mid-60s. The foreign ministry um, basically was quite cloistered. That is to say, it saw its business of um, conducting diplomacy and it didn't have too much to do with the wider public. Now, the foreign ministry makes big efforts to engage in outreach activities. So there's at that level, and the other aspect, of course, is the media. The media have got increasingly involved in foreign policy schools. If you take this year, for example, we have quite a heavy uh, media input and involvement in the school, which is really welcome, which means that the ideas discussed can get wide circulation. At the second level, which I've touched on, is the institutional level, which I think the school has had quite considerable impact. Um, I think that practitioners are exposed to ideas which they wouldn't always, because they have busy lives, and they are, if you like, if you like, put it this way, at the beck and call of the day-to-day routines that they have to engage in to do their job. It gives them a chance to immerse themselves in ideas which they wouldn't encounter on a daily basis. So that that's important. And I think the third thing is, which is a point you're probably most interested in, it may have had an impact on policy outcomes, although that's more difficult to be certain of. In the first 10 years, I think the impact was relatively limited. But I think since about the 80s, particularly New Zealand's move to a non-nuclear policy, and also developing relations with China, both of those issues were considered before they became part of government policy. They were considered at the foreign policy school. So, you know, I don't think the foreign policy school can claim exclusive credit for those developments, but I think it does act as a catalyst, uh, as, a, as a sort of, you know, an incubator of ideas. Well, I think it can claim credit uh, at least for taking the most interesting minds in this area, um, you know, available to us here domestically and some uh, from overseas and actually bringing them together. And, you know, maybe these uh, policy shifts in the wind would have happened otherwise, but um, surely that communication, um, you know, is facilitating something. And I'm especially excited about the lineup uh, for this year's school, um, some big names that uh, listeners of this show will probably know, like John Stevenson, Jane Kelsey, Paul Buchanan, Professor Clements of Peace and Conflict Studies, um, but but people from all across the spectrum, including um, high commissioners and uh, things like that. Who who are some of the people that we should watch out for this weekend, or what are some of the presentations that you are most interested to see? Well, I, you know, I, I, as, as the sort of co-director of the school, obviously I've played a part in selecting these people, so I'm pretty excited about all of them. I, I think the debates and the exchanges, we, we carefully, we are a consciously bipartisan organisation. We do not have an agenda. That's why we don't invite practising politicians um, to speak at the school, because we don't want it to take on a partisan um, 
complexion at the same time we do want a free and fair exchange of ideas for people who, who passionately disagree that so i think the, the, the there's a number of very interesting areas to look at uh one is the triangular relationship between china new zealand and australia which we considered by hugh white mm. another one concerns the controversial trans-pacific partnership where you'll have associate professor rob scole accomplished economist who will be talking about New Zealand's important stakes in the economy of the Asia-Pacific and you'll have Jane Kelsey who's acknowledged to be um, an extremely capable critic of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Arrangement and worries about the erosion of New Zealand's sovereignty and I think she represents you know, quite a strand of, uh, of opinion in this country I'd be interested to see the sort of exchanges in that area. Another area um, which I think is being covered is the environment by Adrian Macy, formerly um, uh, Dr. Adrian Macy, formerly um, climate ambassador for this university, uh, for, for the country. He was uh, formerly in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. He's now an academic. That would be interesting to hear his views. I, I, I see that the whole question of climate change is slowly, perhaps too slowly, beginning to increase in prominence in this country. Um, and um, this country, of course, makes its uh, living by exporting agricultural products and is critically dependent on a stable, reasonably stable climate to do so. So I think uh, the, other, the other area, and th this is just a very limited selection, we've got 28 speakers, um, and I, I think they're all very very capable indeed and so we've tried to go for the very best people available but another one that catches the eye uh, at first glance um, is the, the the panel session which involves uh, Dr Paul Buchanan, Dr Jim Rolfe and Dr Anthony Smith who will be giving different perspectives on the relationship between intelligence and national security and, question, and particularly the issue of surveillance and that is obviously a hot topic and, uh, you know, one that's uh, another topic that's sort of hot at the moment that's not on the official agenda, but I'm certain will probably be discussed in the sidelines um, is some of those issues uh, surrounding the Middle East, uh, particularly our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, the foreign ministers faced a lot of questions about the Saudi farm deal. We've just yeah. seen the release of uh, some new WikiLeaks cables detailing diplomatic communication between New Zealand and Saudi Arabia. Just the type of, uh, you know, juicy um, sort of data that all these interested parties like to delve into and know a bit about. So uh, I yes. think it'd be fair to say that'll be discussed on the sidelines. Yes, I think it will. But, of course, we have a very capable speaker, um, Dr. Nigel Parsons from Massey University, who's a Middle East specialist, who will be talking quite fascinatingly on New Zealand's connection with the uh, Palestinian issue. And um, I should imagine that presentation, which is valuable in its own right, will be uh, occasion some of the issues that you've just raised. Well, it's all interconnected, and uh, it's really great that uh, you know our university can actually function as it's intended to to um, foster these interdisciplinary uh, exchanges. And uh, I'm going to be excited to uh, see all of them, as you say, as well. And uh, I'm sure people who are more interested um, will be able to see some of the stuff coming out from these journalists attending the show, and we'll certainly report on it 
more deeply here next week and in the weeks to come. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank and you, uh, Much appreciated. I do encourage all listeners to uh, pay attention to the Otago Foreign Policy School, now in its 50th year. Uh, we'll see you this weekend. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, I Cheers. That was Professor Robert Patman, head of department for Otago Politics. We're going to play some tracks, then we're going to get back with this week's politics news and the juicy, juicy gossip and analysis, the death of the Conservative Party. Or will it rise like a phoenix from the ashes? Major players from minor political parties coming up after 11 o'clock. You're on the one, 91 FM. 